Good day, everybody. So excited about the show today. I will tell you, I say this often, when a man is willing to stand publicly and warn of an injustice, a crime, a lie, uh, maybe a lie from Satan himself, or warn of a truth from God, that's a man that should get a microphone. And today we have such a man, a guy who's coming here to say, well, by the word of my testimony, my hope is for others to know the truth and be set free. And that's the prayer I prayed over Jeff Tooley. Let me tell you about Jeff real quick before we have him on camera and microphone here. Jeff, born a biological male, then lived as a woman for 20 years. And Jeff is here today to tell us about how he was saved, set free. God changed his life three years ago. And I am anticipating, Jeff, and welcome, that you're going to enlighten us, share information with us, give people truth. And my prayer is for those who are struggling with some of the things that you've struggled with at times, that they find hope in your message and reach out and say, help me. Or at the least, say, but wait a minute, if it can change for him, then it can change for me. So Jeff Tooley, welcome on the bottom line. Thank you, Jacko. And thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Thank you for making the drive. Thank you for the boldness and the bravery. Mm -hmm. um, let's start at the beginning. Where were you born and raised? Well, uh, I was born and raised uh, up in upstate New York. Okay. Uh, I was born a preacher's kid. Uh, then I came to a place uh, when I in that time because of my dad's position there was a lot of abuse in the home was it verbal or physical or both both really uh, on the hands of your father yes okay and the the big thing was uh, we had to be the perfect little angels so that we could make daddy look good. Yeah. And when I was 13 years old, my, uh, my parents divorced and then my dad, uh, led us into everything that he preached against. And it led me down to a bad road to where I lived in a couple of foster homes uh, I came back home uh, right before my 16th birthday. Right after my 16th birthday, I was kicked out of the family home and left to fend for myself. Wow. I was not going to go back into foster care. I had enough of the horrors of all that. But then it led me into a world of, oh, 16-year-old, fresh meat, I needed a job, what's in it for me? And then I got caught up into doing what I had to do to survive, and I could not seem to find a job where there wasn't an ulterior motive behind it, which led me to a life of just real sexualization uh at one point i ended up homeless 
uh, I ended up in the sex trade there for a winter as I, I was homeless uh, in upstate New York in the cold of winter. Yeah. And I needed a place to stay. I wasn't really caught out to be on the streets like everybody else. But then you had to do a whole lot of things for that warm place to sleep that you didn't want to do. And because of it, I got led into a world of drugs, alcohol, and just literally everything you can imagine. But uh, I dealt with uh, gender issues, you know, since I was five years old myself. And as I was on the strip and everything, I ran into others that uh, were dealing with gender issues. And I was like, wow, I'm not the only one out here. This is real. Yeah. And, you know, uh, th this is back in the 80s. Uh, yeah, there, there was a lot of violence against the LGBT community at the time. And... I was hanging out with a few friends back then and seriously contemplating uh, transitioning back then, but it was simply too dangerous. I watched people that I knew be beaten beyond recognition. Uh, there was a lot of murder going on against uh, the trans community. And so I backed out and I left state and everything else to get away from it. But it kept on following me through my life. Uh, it ended a marriage, it ended any long-term relationship that I was in. And it finally came to a place where I succumbed to it. I, I was seeking help the whole time. What, what did that look like, seeking help at that time, Jeff? Well, uh, from the faith community or maybe not because you were running from the, were you running from the faith community at that point because of your father? Well, see, in 1997, I ended up with another DWI. Okay. I say another because I've had a had few. before, of them. yeah. And that's where I gave my heart back to God. Mm -hmm. Okay. How old were you at that time? Were you 20, 22, somewhere there? I, I was about 38. Oh, okay. Time. Older, 38. Okay. And I, I received a lot of healing deliverance back then. But with that said, I tried to address the gender issue, but you can't talk about this in the church. The, the tr just the transgender word is a taboo word that you just, that they can't even say it. And so you, you couldn't get no help. And you, you tried to go online, you tried to get different uh, counseling, uh, Oh, you, you had to pay for it. Sure, yeah. It wasn't covered by your insurance. Yeah. And here I am going through a period of my time. I'm broke. I don't have no money. I just need some help. And you, so there, there was some help in the LGBT community, but it was all one way. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted help, we, we help you transition. Sure, sure. But if you want to go the other way, well, we, we can't help you. No help, yeah. And 
I got sucked into it, uh, and I ended up transitioning. I lived as a woman for 20 years. So at 38, you transition into a woman. Yes. I want to pick it up there in a little bit, but I want to go back. Because I think, look, I want to have the conversation. It's called The Bottom Line, this show, because I want to get to the bottom. I want to have the conversations that even the church will not have. I appreciate that. So at five, if you can, go back there. And you said you struggled with gender issues. Ask you a couple of questions. The abuse, which some of it was sexual. Did pornography play a part at all? Not in the very beginning. Okay. But later on. But later on, it was uh, definite. Cause so your introduction to sexual you know, content was abuse. It wasn't pornography and then abuse. It was abuse first. It, it was... Uh, well, the... the, the the sexual abuse and the pornography both started to come into my life when I was about 13. Okay. Okay. So what did, what was it like as a five-year-old? When you say as a five-year-old, I had gender. Did you hear a voice? I, mean, I want to get real tactile with this. Did you hear a voice? Was there a concept? Was someone speaking to you? You know, we can say, you know, how how did you experience that? I, I think looking back hindsight, my sister got the attention. I didn't. Okay. She older? Uh, younger. Younger. Okay. But then I was like, oh, girls get to wear the, the pretty fun things. I'm just on boring. Uh, I connected with the girls better than I connected with the guys. But then when the abuse started, back then the big thing was tree forts. Okay. And I did have an interest in uh, carpentry and woodwork and construction and whatnot. And there was a housing subdivision right behind us. They're building all these new houses. I used to go over there, pick up the scrap uh, wood and build my own tree forts. But that was my escape from the abuse. But it became my dollhouse. Okay, I'm with you. And so everything just kind of built upon that. Was your mom a voice? Did she know? Was she a voice in that time? And if she was a voice, was she a voice of reason for, Jeff, you're a boy? Or was she a voice of reason in pushing you in a different direction? Or was she just not a voice at all? Well... She she was doing her best to raise five kids. Uh, I never got the attention. Okay. I was always the black sheep. And unfortunately, every little thing that I might have done wrong in that day, we'd go back to my dad. He would come home from work three o'clock in the morning he worked the night shift, wake me up out of bed, and I got beat within an inch of my life for every little tiny thing I did throughout that day. And this happened just about every single night. When did that move into 
around 13, you said, I think it moved into sexual abuse. Was that on the hands of your father? And, and did you receive that as a form of punishment in your mind? Or what did you think that was? Uh, the sexual abuse start, started with my father. Okay. Uh, and it was after the divorce. I don't know if it was a punishment or not. I, I think he just plain had a perversion. Mm -hmm. And I still wonder to this day if that sexual abuse wasn't way, way back before I could even remember. And, and, and that's why I was asking you when it started, because often with the survivors of sex trafficking we work with, and when you really start giving the right kind of help early on, which you didn't receive. It wasn't available to you. You discovered that it was earlier, normally. <clears throat> we call it the root lie. But it, at the time, and I'm trying to dive in, I want the audience to see what happens here when we speak to people with this kind of abuse in the past and how hard it is to really go back and, and, and find starting points and pinpoints. And, and, and as a child, when that's happening to you in your mind, because your father is obviously communicating something to you as he's performing these acts. What goes through your mind, Jeff? Is it, is, are you just confused or are you convinced that this is something that's your dad's right? You know, what was some of the self-talk, what I call self-talk? Can you share with us some of the things maybe that went through your mind at the time? I don't really know. I know sexualization was all around me. It was the thing to do. Mm. You're a teenager. And at first it's like you, you have to learn how to do it, you know, and everything. Had he left me alone, I would have learned it on my own amply. Uh I, I, I don't really know. Yeah. And, and from your father to others, did, did others start, did it go beyond your dad, the abuse? Well, it went from uh, my father onto my mother's boyfriend. Okay. Who actually liked us boys better than he liked my mom. He was probably there because of the boys. Well, exactly. Yeah. So that spiraled downhill. But I wasn't the favorite on that one. Okay. So with father, did, do you think the abuse with, with your dad, your, your biological father, was just you or was it some of the other siblings as well? There, there, there was others. Okay. But um, with the boyfriend, mother's boyfriend, it, it was the boys, but you said you were not the favorite. That's the way I perceive it. Yeah. Uh, just looking back on the events, I can't sit there and say, oh, he did it with this person or that person. But you know how there's different things that are happening. Yeah. You just kind of know. Yes. Uh, you have a sixth sense about it. Looking back, Jeff, and this is a big question that really is kind of a, a, a holding a magnifying glass over our current culture. Okay. How important in your mind, and I don't want to state the obvious because I think we can't today anymore. I mean, we really need to dig into these things. 
in your mind, how important is it for a father to be a protector? Um, a voice of discipline, but a voice of reason, a support. How, how important do you, now looking back, do you think it is and what role did it play that there wasn't a real bond between you and your father, although he was there, but not there on a heart yeah. level? What, what level of importance do you think that hold in the potential of a child falling prey to the forces of darkness? On a scale of 1 to 10, yeah, probably a 12. I want to share a statistic with you and just get your thoughts on this. At the moment, currently, 80% of the incarcerated individuals older than 25 today in America, 80% of them were raised without a father. Okay. <clears throat> 90% of the incarcerated individuals under 25 today are raised without a father. Now, that doesn't mean their dad's dead. It means he's not there. He's not yeah. a positive voice in their life. Those are staggering numbers. It's undeniable. And when you go to the 80 or the 90%, everything is present in their lives. Drugs, sexual abuse, abandonment, the foster care system as a common denominator. My parents divorced. Divorce is a common denominator when you come to abuse. Almost every single person I'm talking to that suffered abuse as an absent father or, or a divorce in the home. And it's impossible to get away from that the importance of fathers being a force for good and a healthy force in society. Um, okay, we fast forward. You transition at 38. What did that look like? Transition. I mean, what was there hormone therapy involved for you, Jeff? I mean, t talk me through a little bit of that. Because the transition, you don't just wake up in the morning and go, okay, I flipped the switch, I transitioned today. There's a process, right? I mean, help it, me understand. It's a long process. And, and I'll just start by saying there was nothing about it for me that was sexual. Okay. Well, that's that's a that's a novel concept because we're to believe that it's the word on the street by the LBGTQ community is that it's all about sex, but you're saying none of it was because of sex for you. There is a population within the transgender community. We really want to become eunuchs. But you can't become a eunuch because of the way met medical society is. So you have to have the, the, the transgender component, which gives you a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, which is a legal diagnosis to do the hormones and the surgery. But there is another community that we don't hear much about and that's what we call the asexual community, which is really growing. We don't hear about that. We don't talk about that. And while we're on that, even in the LGBT community, the people that are transitioned usually get such a crappy transition, they, they can't be sexual if they wanted to just because of the way the surgery goes. 
Yeah. And I could get into more graphic detail if I wanted to. You could talk freely about whatever you want, yeah. But, you know, you, you, you can't have an orgasm. You don't have the, uh, the depth, so you get any kind of penetration. You don't have the right tissue down there. So it's very painful what you do get. So when you put that together, once people transition, the sex is just terrible at best, if you can even have it. Uh, do you think people know that going into it, Jeff? Some do. But it's not, but it's not educated. I, w- I would add, is it? Is it educated in the community? Like the doctors performing the surgery. Do the doctors sit a potential transitioner down and say, no, listen, I need you to understand here. You're not going to have the right tissue. You're not going to be able to have the firmness. You're not going to have orgasm. You can't you, you lay out all the hay, just so you know. I mean, does that happen? Well, when I went for my surgery and come to find out this is a huge deal with a lot of the transgender surgeons, they have you come in on a Sunday afternoon so that you, you can land and they usually have a place to sleep in the back of their office because they want to make sure you're going to be there for Monday morning right on time. Then they run through all that paperwork with you very quick. Oh, I'm I'm on my way. I have a date. Uh, We got to run through this quick. So they, they rush you through the paperwork. You sign, sign, sign your life away. You sign every release possible. Oh, we we get you a, uh, your copy in the uh, in the morning. We'll get it to you before you leave. You never get that paperwork. You never get copies of any of that. Now I had to have uh, two therapist letters to get the surgery. Okay, like a recommendation from a therapist. Exactly. Yeah, and so. I went into a very highly well-known, highly respected therapist. I met her like 10 years earlier in the event, and she saw me just in passing. And here, uh, a couple weeks before the surgery, I, I needed a letter. I went in one visit, and I got that letter, and that whole visit was just talking to me and getting things to write into that letter, getting to know me. And in the uh, moment, what's that? In the moment, she's getting to know you as she's writing this letter of recommendation for you to alter exactly. your life for 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 what could be forever. And she wrote the letter that she known me for all these years. And then I had to go through a psychiatric evaluation, which is a two-part evaluation, uh, two one-hour sessions of what it's supposed to be. With the same therapist or someone else? No, with, with, with the psychiatrist. Now. Okay, okay. So they, they run you through a battery of tests, which you do. Uh, they mail it to you ahead of time, so you have it all filled out. They talk to you maybe 15 minutes, if you're lucky, on your first visit. Then you come back in to score the test on the second one. 
and I may be getting this mixed up slightly, but you'll get the idea. And halfway through that process, oh, I have an appointment. I'll fill in the rest of the answers for you. By the way, here's your letter. So in your case. That's how easy it is. Your psychiatrist even completed the paperwork for you, the questionnaire. Exactly. You received your letter to then take that letter from a from a therapist and a psychiatrist, two letters, to go to the doctor that's going to do the transition. And what you're saying is that doctor, you go in on a Sunday afternoon, there's a room in the back, you stay over. It's signed, 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 because these are all consent forms, correct? Yes. You sign these consents real quick, and then you wake up Monday morning, and what and, happens? And the doctor takes you to the hospital okay. in his vehicle. Next thing you know, you're on the operating table. You wake up, you're in the hospital for three days. Now, you've just had major, major surgery where they have literally cut you all apart. Now, you go back to that same room in the back of the doctor's office to recover a few more days so that he can monitor you because all this is happening out of state. But then I get down to the next Sunday. My room had to be cleared for the next one. Sure. And, of course, there's no professional cleaning. It's not hospital standard. It's just a room in the back of a office. Uh, I had access to all kinds of stuff, including other people's medical records if I wanted to. Uh, so I come down to that next Saturday. I had to be gone. They have a new patient coming in. And I was nowhere near ready to go home. I couldn't even sit without all kinds of pop, 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 pop. And you could literally hear things tearing apart. Now, I had to get in my car and I had to drive six hours home. The surgery that was performed on you, tell me what you believed it was to be and, 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 and what was actually done. If you don't mind, Jeff, if you if you could share. Well, I had done my research on the internet. Okay. So I, I, I knew more than most people knew. And I knew why I did it. And it was for the celibacy. Okay. That that was the big thing. Plus, I got rid of parts that did not belong. It, um as I felt back then. Yes. So, to me, in my personal situation, I was okay with the surgery. I I didn't like the medical horrors of it. Okay. But the surgery itself and having everything be gone, to, to me, gave me freedom. Okay. So, you get home from the surgery. Now life is different, tangibly. What were the surprises? I mean, was there complications from the surgery? Did you have aftercare? I mean, did they help you? The aftercare was shoddy at best. Okay. And I had to 
just really rely on my instincts to take care of myself in so many situations. Was there an LBGTQ or a transition community around you that, that came? I mean, tangible things like they show up at the house, they're bringing soup, food, we're checking on you, Jeff. Were they there? I mean, was there community support or no? Nothing. Did, did other people know that you were going through this surgery in the in the trans community? Did they know? I kept everything pretty to myself. Okay. Uh, because I understood the discrimination. All right. And the, the discrimination was a huge factor. Uh, I had already been living as a woman for I don't know how many years before the surgery. And I'll be honest, I, I in my situation, was pretty happy living as a woman. What, what, what name did you live under, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, Lynn. Lynn, okay. And my, my name was Jeffrey Lynn. Okay, so you took the middle name and because it was a, it's, it's neutral. Yeah. yeah okay. Makes and sense. I wanted to keep everything as natural as possible. That makes sense. But uh, I'll be honest, I, I, I was living happily as a woman. But then I came to a place. I, I was just hungry for God. I was just hungry. And I started to seek him out. So living as a living as a woman, having having gone through horrors as a child, abuse, abandonment, foster homes, living on the street, uh, having to sell your body for survival and shelter and food, living as a woman. What I'm hearing you say is there's still there was still a desire for God. It it didn't fulfill all of the soul need. You came to realization I'm still looking for God. Yes. And but I had already dealt with enough discrimination in the church. Uh, kicked out of a church. Uh, they didn't want to deal with the gender issue. Mm -hmm. And I, but I knew one, I, I was really seeking truth. Okay. I'm, I'm a truth seeker. <laughs> and it's funny because God says the truth yeah. will set you free. I, I, at that point, I really wanted a relationship with God as a woman, as perverted as that may sound. But that was your heart's desire. That, that's what you felt like you, you were aiming at. Yes. Okay. And I found a church that I trusted. It was quite a distance away. But I was hungry enough to travel that distance. And they were very good to me. And they just supported me. I'm not saying that everything went perfectly, 
looking back now, we understood. I understand where they were coming from. They understand where I was coming from, you know. Uh, but at the same hand, they treated me very lovingly and respectfully. And finally, I went to one of their conferences. And I went in that conference and I was just so hungry for God. And I told God before I went in that conference, I said, I'm not leaving this conference until I have an encounter with you. And the conference ended Saturday night and I didn't feel that I had that encounter. Okay. That's kind of a Jacob, I I will not let you go, angel, until you bless me. Yeah. <coughs> I will wrestle you until you bless me, until I hear from you. So I says, okay, God, you know what I told you. And I came back Sunday morning as a holdover. And I got on my face at that altar. And I just poured out everything to God. And I says, Lord, I made a pass out of my life. I had to repent for the years that I had wasted. I said, if you can salvage anything out of my life, anything, I'm here, I'm all yours, 100%, nothing held back. And I met those words with every drop of my being. Yeah. And Lord came down and he just hit me at that altar so hard, I was just tr shaking and trembling. And I remember even after the worship music ended, they were transitioning in the service, I'm literally staggering back to my pew. I walk into a guy this much taller than I am, much taller, much bigger. I ran smack into him. And he just held me for a second. He said, you're not from here, are you? And I said, no. And he just said, welcome. And was able to hold me long enough to where I could get the strength I needed to get back to my pew. The power of God hit me so hard. And then right after that, the Lord woke me up three o'clock in the morning. And it was after Hurricane Harvey uh, down here in Texas. Yeah. And, of course, I, I'd been praying for the people in Hurricane Harvey and everything. And he says, would you go and would you help them? I'm like, okay. <laughs> I knew not a soul in Texas. Uh, never been here before. I knew absolutely nothing about it. You're just touched by God, and now you're sent on an assignment. It's kind of, it's kind of how he operates. As, as a woman now. As a woman now. As a woman now, at that time. Yeah. Here's Jeff, who's Lynn. Lynn wanting God. God comes down and rocks your world as Lynn at the time, and then sends Lynn on an Do, assignment. Doing hurricane rebuilds. <laughs> so. Well, look how the carpentry comes back from building those forts. Yeah. Right? Well, see, I, nothing I had, is unplanned. Nothing. I had 17 years of com commercial construction experience. Okay. So and you make your so, way to Texas. 
So I come to here God's country. This, uh, I'm doing disaster relief work. Okay. But then that kind of dwindled down. And I, I, I was involved in different churches and ministries and everything. But Still living as a woman in this mo yes. moment. Okay. But then the discrimination from the church hit me hard. Okay. Real hard. Now, at this time, you're dressing as a woman during the day. You're representing yourself as a woman. You're identifying yourself as Lynn. Yes. Okay. But uh, I got hit real hard from the church. And basically removed from a, a deliverance ministry. Uh, I, I was in one of those backroom meetings and I pretty much knew I was going to be removed, so I removed myself. Uh, and it was hard because I had worked with these people and everything else. And I went into the darkest couple of years of my life. You would think the human trafficking was the darkest for me, but it wasn't. And through that period, I'm making a long story short, I tried to commit suicide three times. I couldn't handle it. I, I took enough hydrocortones to kill a herd of elephants, and I couldn't even get high. What what hormone therapy through throughout this though that they put you on, Jeff? And did they put you on hormone therapy before the surgery or after? Yeah, I I've been on hormones for uh, twenty years prior. Okay. <laughs> okay. And you, and at this point, you're still at that time. You were still on on hormones, right? Yes. Yeah. Even after the surgery, and and, and so you go into this darkness. And. It came down to a place where it would just be in God. I would crawl up my recliner. I had my worship music. I had my Bible. And it was a couple of years of just spending time with God. And I came to a place where I hated the church. I literally hated them. And I told God, I said, Lord, you know I love you, but I hate your church. And of course, those two don't mix. You can't love God and hate this church. No, because the church is his bride. Yeah. His people. But that was your the reality for you. You were in that place. You had that, a lot that's of pain. What I was. You had, and you were honest with God. And I and I always implore people be honest with God. He's not going to run away. But then the Lord, well, earlier gave me the book Beta Satan. Well, first he kept on dealing with me on forgiveness issues. Okay. I had a lot of people in my life that I had to forgive. Of course, look at the abuse. And I had to forgive some of the toughest situations that you could ever imagine. And I had to even move my, my youngest child uh, down to Texas 
And they even got between uh, me and my son to break up our relationship. And I had to forgive that. And then the Lord took me through that book, Bait of Satan, to deal with all the offense. And then he gives me a book. I don't remember the title of it. And then it was to deal with the narcissism. And here I am, I'm, I'm reading that book. I'm like, there's that person, there's that person, there's that person, there's that person. And I get all the way to the end of the book. And the Lord says, there's you. There's you, yeah. And that always comes. There's always we, the yeah. world, but then there's us. But in that, I hate I hated narcissistic people with a passion. And I hated narcissism. And so it was easy for me to repent on that one. But I had to break that off. But then I had more forgiveness issues that kept on piling on. And the offenses just kept on coming and coming. And I, I finally got mad at God again. And I was like, who is going to forgive me? And he just let me stew there for 30 seconds. And he says, I forgave you. That's right. And I just lost it. Yeah. I totally lost it. How can you argue with that? You cannot, and you cannot argue with a God that sacrifices his own son and says, but Jeff Tooley, it was for you. It's for you, personally. And I'm still going through offenses. And I was in a bad place. And it came to the point where nobody in Texas could reach me anymore. My walls were sky high, they were fortified, and... Everybody was uh, trying to throw this Bible scripture at me, that Bible scripture at me. I was like, I don't need one more scripture. Because what I was seeking was, what does redemption look like for me? Yeah, yeah. I just got, I, I, I've dealt with gender issues all my life. I've lived as a woman for 20 years. I've been on hormones, been on surgeries. I've gone through the name change. I've gone through a legal gender change. So I'm legally Lynn. I'm legally a female. I've, what does redemption look like for me at this point? That's where I need the help. And everybody would pile on Bible scriptures and Bible scriptures until I, I'd, I'd blow up at them. You know, I, I just got to be honest, you know, I had a short fuse. I was just, I had enough. And the Lord led me to a couple people that were formerly trans. And again, they kept on piling Bible scripture, Bible scriptures. I'm like, that's not what I'm looking for. And the more they hit Bible scriptures with me, the more agitated I would get. 
And finally, I'm sitting there in my living room in a real bad place. I had major respiratory issues because of all the hormone use. Yeah. Uh, people don't realize that it comes down when you go from testosterone to estrogen and you have all the hormone blockers, it calms down your respiratory. It calms down your heart rate. Uh, I was to the point where I could literally flatline in my sleep. Wow. Uh, with the respiratory. I rely on inhalers to this day to keep my respiratory going. So I'm dealing with major respiratory issues, kind of contemplating, do I want to go to the hospital? Do I not? And whatnot. And I listened to this live stream that I listened to oftentimes on a Monday night. And they had the pre-service worship, which was kind of slow. And I'm like, yeah, 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 but click. Uh, didn't watch it. I'm sitting there at my computer doing other things. But something takes me back to that live stream halfway through it. And there's this woman worshiping that I was familiar with. I've seen her live. Uh, I've even seen her in per well, in person live. And but she didn't know me from a bag of beans. We'd never talked, nothing. And she's worshiping me. And the Lord starts hitting my respiratory. And my, my chest gets real warm. And I knew that the presence of God was hitting me. And I'm like, wow. So I'm sitting there and I'm, in, I'm just in, kind of enjoying the presence. Again, I'm still very agitated. The live stream ends. And I was just like, wow. I need something to calm my spirit. So I go back onto the live stream on the replay. Now, they're, they're no longer live now. No, you're watching the beginning that you skipped. I yeah. skipped over the pre-service because I still yeah. just wasn't in that place. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. I just wasn't there. Sure. And... This woman comes out on stage and goes, now, I mean, you, you could tell that she's just really fired up. For somebody here tonight, the Lord is going to literally split the sky and meet you face to face. And the power of God hit me so hard. It's a good thing I was sitting there. I would probably fall into the floor. Now, backtrack a little bit I was like Laura you you know what I told you at the East Coast Conference back in 2017 yeah but I have to hear from you what you require out of me mm -hmm. because I entrust people no more Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's that longing of why did you make me Lord? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Yeah. So he, here I am. Fast forward. 
the Lord's going to split the sky and meet you face to face and power of God hits me, I knew that that was for me. And then she starts saying, I know your name. I know your name. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Heard that a thousand times before. Get on with it. And I'm, I'm still a little agitated. <laughs> and she keeps on, I know your name. I know your name. But then she goes, not the name that you brought forth on legal documents. <laughs> not the name that was birthed out of hurt and pain. Come on. The name Lynn. Yeah. And I lost it. I just totally lost it. And I knew. I, I knew without a shadow of a doubt. Nobody had to go any further. I knew what I had to do. Wow. But then as I uh, listened through that live stream, every single song spoke to me. with the instructions and everything that I needed. Things that would only mean something to me. Yeah. And I probably watched that video over a hundred times since. I've even watched it, just really watching the one lead in worship. Is there any fake in it to it? Is this real? You're looking for the authenticity, yeah. And I could not pick it apart. God was speaking to you specifically in that moment, calling your name, saying, I know your name, not the name you came in here with on legal documents, but I know your name. And you're saying that you knew exactly what that meant, what you had to do. What was that? I, I knew. And the I, I had listened to that video a couple of times that night fallen to sleep, barely slept, and I got up in the morning and I was like, that was a now word. Okay. And even in that video, one section, let's get this done. Wow. Wow. I mean, you talked about It's a commission. God's saying now, let's yeah, go. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. So I took, I didn't own a stitch of male clothing. Not a stitch. And I knew I had to do something. So I grabbed the trash bag. That night? That morning. That morning. So the morning after, uh, yeah. This Tuesday morning now. Yeah. And I took all my frilly clothes, the most of them, and I packed four garbage bags of them. And I took them to the dumpster. Because I kept on hearing my spirit. When you take a step, I'll take a step. You had to put action to that faith. God called you and said, it's a now word. Do something now. And then you got a step. And Jeff, I wish Christians could, people who are already saved could understand the power in that. So you take a step, you go get, because you didn't have any male clothes. So you take yeah. the most frilly as you say and you toss it in the trash in the dumpster what happened next and at that point uh, I, I put a text out to my pastor 
and I was wanting to see this one trans guy, uh, trans man, former trans man, who had a powerful testimony up in Oklahoma. And they, the, the church gave me the money to make that trip. Okay. But then our conversations faded out again. It all went back to scripture, scripture, scripture. I wasn't looking for scripture. I was looking for a little personal support. But what does it look like to walk this out? Yeah. You know, I never felt male. I lived 20 years as a woman. And now I got to step into a man's shoes. How do I, how, how do I now be a man? What does that look like? What does that look like? But you know, you you, you knew what you're saying, Jeff. I want to make sure you knew in that night when God spoke to you in that sermon that what you had to do was, I know your name, Jeff, meaning I need you to be a man. Is that what you heard? Go and get rid of the clothes and go from Lynn back to Jeff. Yes. And then you're saying, okay, I'm doing it, but now what does that look like? How do I do that? And you have to understand, I'm doing this in the middle of COVID. You can't go into the grocery shop, uh, uh, grocery, uh, into the clothes stores. And just go buy clothing. And yeah. go buy clothes. Yeah. But what size do I wear? I mean... In 20 years of hormones, you have all this fat redistribution. So even if you try on men's clothes... It's not cut for your body at that point. Exactly. So you have to figure out all this. And in the, I knew in the trans community, we do all the little secrets. Because trans people are used to working with this. And... I figured if I could see a, a former trans man. Could give me some guidance here. Yes. Help me out. How do, how do you shop? What do you do? Where? Okay. But that quickly blew apart. And I, I, I got pretty upset with her at the time because it was scripture, scripture, scripture. That's not what I needed. God already spoke. I knew what I had to do. I didn't know how to do it. Sure. So I'm like going back and forth with my pastor. What do I do with this money? You know, you gave me money for this trip. And obviously I'm not making this trip. And it was all silence. And I'm like, I wasn't liking it really. But I just felt my spirit. You take that money and put it towards clothing. So I start buying clothing. You're you're ordering online now. Yeah, you don't know if it's gonna fit or not. Some of it fit, some of it didn't, whatnot. I finally find a few stores that I can get into. This is three years ago. Yeah. So twenty twenty, in the middle of COVID, you're learning how to be a man after having lived as a woman for 20 years, and you're doing this in lockdown with no support group. Yeah. 
And I, I can remember at one point, I spent a whole day just looking for a pair of sneakers that fit. And I finally found one, and it's like a $130 pair of sneakers. Now, I'm just looking for something 20, 30 bucks. But I try them on, and I remember they were, they were comfortable. And I was like, wow. And it's the first pair that I tried on that were comfortable. I said, you know what? I deserve these. I said, I'm spending the money I'm getting them. And I did. I still got them today. I'm wearing them right now. Uh, and they're still in good shape. Uh, but the challenges that I had, and I, I blew through the $500 and maybe ended up with $250 worth of usable clothing. And you couldn't take anything back because of COVID. So, okay, you donated that and everything. And a lot of places I could go with this, but for the sake of time. But, but at that point now, you're a man. Jeff is back. Somewhat. 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 Did did you change any 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 hormonal protocol at that time? Well, see, everybody was saying drop the hormones. Okay. Everybody from the church community. And I, I was getting that message. And, and I did, and I abruptly stopped, and I regret that. I deeply regret that. Well, the body is a physiological machine and an incubator, and you can't, hormone, hormone fluctuation is, 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 has, a, has a violent effect inside the body. So getting on hormone therapy, so that, getting off hormone yeah. therapy, it's like a drug addict. You don't just, I mean, there's, there's, there's going to be an effect. And it exasperated my respiratory issues. Okay. Makes sense. And different things started going on with my heart that were not normal compared to prior to that. Okay. So, anyhow, come Wednesday night of that same week, I'm very fidgety in bed, and I just can't sleep, and I just keep on hearing those words, I know your name, I know your name. I'm like, enough, I've, I'm, I'm sick and tired of this now. I, I didn't want to hear that one more time. Okay, I get it. And I keep on hearing it, I know your name, I know your name. And I got the warmth, I'm like, Okay, God, what are you trying to tell me here? He says, go on Facebook and change your name. And my heart just sunk already. That was one of the last things I was going to do. Yeah. That was one of the very few things that people in the church were going to give me a pass on. And I'm like, okay, I changed my name in New York. Sure. I'm living in Texas now. How do we do this? 
Well, he told me very pacifically, you changed your name on Facebook. So I had to figure out how to do it. I, I go through Facebook and I figure out how to do it and everything. And then I set up the little box to do it. And it says, once you change this, you can't change it back for so many months. And I'm like, no. Finally, I just, I just snapped the mouse of my computer. And all of a sudden, in a real slow motion, I see Jeff come all the way down my feet. And I'm like, what the frig did I just do? <laughs> and I'm like, a lot of people are going to be freaking out right now. Oh, yeah, of course. 20 years of Lynn and hello. Yeah. Jeff is back because God spoke. And... I waited what felt like an hour. It wasn't. It was just a matter of minutes, but it felt like an hour at the time. Sure. And the comments started coming in. And it was just encouraging words. Really? Wow. And, of course, you knew the ones that were encouraging you, and you knew the ones that weren't. And by the end of that day, after just kind of watching everything coming down the feed, Lord says, those are the people that you run with from here forward. Wow. And I knew. But then, here I am, fast forward a couple of weeks. Now, I'm I'm still trying to kind of pass uh, <laughs> between the genders because I, I couldn't pass the male. I couldn't pass the female. So I'm just, I'm stuck somewhere in between. And I go to see a special speaker. And the message goes on. Then the altar call. And the altar call was, ask God what you would lay down at this altar. Okay, yeah. I'm like, okay, God. What do you want now? He says, your bra. Wow. And I'm like, whoa. Because that just totally blows everything apart. Now, it's not just your name on Facebook. It's your appearance. It's everything. So he says, lay down your bra. Yeah. So... Of course, you're not going to lay that down at altar physically. No, but he, but, but he, you knew what he meant. Yeah. yeah. This is it. No more. And he says, come up to the altar and just cry out with everything that you got and lay it down. And I cried out to God in a way that I have never cried out to God before in my life. And the power of God again hit me so powerfully. It took several guys to help me get off that floor. And then I had to sit there a while to get enough composure to make it to my car. And then I had to attempt to drive home. And I'm just driving home and it was so surreal. And I knew it was all God. 
and I pull into my apartment complex and I pull in front of the dumpster and I remove my bra the way girls do it without taking their tops off and I just threw it in there. And I was like, I, I get up to my apartment and I, I mean, I'm still under the power of God. Sure, sure. And I'm going through my clothing and everything and another three to four bags, trash bags of clothes hit the dumpster that night. Three o'clock in the morning, I kick up my worship music in an apartment complex. I'm pretty loud now. And I just busted out in worship. It, it was just something that spontaneously happened. You had to, yeah. And it was just so powerful and what God did in that. And then shortly after that, I go to a church that I was visiting in Houston quite often. And God gave, put this church in my path for a period of time just so I could get away and just calm my spirit mm -hmm. from all the stuff that was going on. And they had a, a Heidi Baker came in. Sure, Heidi's great. And with him, Dave Britton and all them, and they just come out of Brazil. Okay. And they were saying that night, for somebody here tonight, or uh, the whole uh, theme of the service was, the Lord is healing your scars. He's wow. erasing your scars. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then I see this one minister up there I'd never seen in that church before. I knew that he had ties, but never seen him in that church. And I just did not want to come in contact with him. He was part of a ministry that I had left. Okay. Deliverance ministry. And I can remember, I knew I needed to be at that altar. I just, I didn't want to deal with him at that point. I just wasn't in that place. And the Lord kept on telling me who it was at that altar. I heard it very vividly clear. I thought, well, I'll go over there. And the Lord was like, he's going to go that way. Well, I'll go over here. Well, he's already there. And the Lord finally just said, just go. So I mustered up the courage and I went. And I stand in front of him. Because I, I didn't want to look at him. Now, he had never done nothing wrong to me. He'd sure. always been very good to me. Sure. But there was a but there was a hurt in your past that he was connected to a ministry and that hurt lingered. Yeah. 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 So the man I get up there, I stop, he puts his hand on my shoulder. Right where I carry all my stress. And my, my nerves were really jittery sure. and everything else, you know, 
I dealt with Tourette syndrome all my life from the abuse and everything. Mm-hmm. But when you touch a certain spot in my shoulder. It's like a trigger. Yeah. Yeah. It just calmed me right down to nothing. Instantly. Wow. And I don't know what he prayed over me. But something happened. And then Dave Britton comes down through and he's touching everybody. Bam, hit the floor. And I'm, I'm kind of laying there for a few minutes. But then one of the pastors was hitting this girl behind me with just so much power, whatever you want to call it. And I was like, she could just unload that right on me right about now. And that was just where I was at. And I said that under my breath. Nobody heard me. And she reached down and she unloaded every bit of it on me. And the power of God hit me so hard. I was just convulsing. But the Lord did something that night. And I can even remember driving home that night. I was like a drunk driver on the road on a Friday night. I'm trying to navigate my way home because the power of God hit me so hard. But the Lord literally erased my scars that night. All that hurt, all that trauma, glory to God, all that pain. Wow. He healed it. Decades. And this is not long ago, Jeff. No. We're talking a year and a half ago, maybe. Well, a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. But still. uh, But that is the power of God. Yeah. And when, when I explained transgenderism to people... Transgenderism is a huge bandage put on a much bigger gaping wound. And that wound is something that only God can heal. But he can't heal it. And the message to that community, as you said in the beginning, is there's no way out of this. That's even yeah. taught. And you and your living testimony that no, there's a way out. Now, but they're, only God. they're right in a way because there isn't a way out. On your own. On your own. Correct. Yes, 100%. Yeah. The out is with God healing that wound. Mm-hmm. Because if you try to take that bandage off with that gaping wound, it's going to hurt. Yeah. Real bad. Or get infected and get worse. Yeah. Yeah. No, true, but but when he spoke to you and said, I know your name, that's the moment. Yeah. And so what I want people to take from this is some may have heard him say, I know your name, and then they walked away from him again. You didn't. When he said, I know your name, you took action and you moved towards him 
And then you had encounter upon encounter with the power of God hitting you. And he kept removing hurt, even to the point where that night removing scars. And my prayer and my hope is that those who are in that lifestyle stuck cannot get out on their own, cannot remove the band-aid, that doesn't heal the wound, that when they hear God say, I know your name, that they remember your testimony and move towards that voice that says, I remember your name. Take a step in that direction. Sitting there in front of that computer, nervous to hit Mm -hmm. the button to say, Jeff, in Facebook. Watching the name move from Lynn to Jeff and the comments coming in and him saying, these are your people. Going to an altar and he, and he hits you again and again and, and probably many more times to come of just keep healing, keep refining. That's the message of hope that I don't think the trans community ever gets. And yes, sure, maybe people throw scripture at people. But at the encounter, it's like, no, the one that made you said, I know your name. Even if no one in the world, I know your name. I know how I made you. Let me ask you some questions. You know, we fight sex trafficking. Yeah. We, um, 28 years. We deal with some of the things, the darkest things you can ever imagine. What are your thoughts? Jeff, you made a comment earlier, recently, <coughs> the trans, post-COVID trans community, there's been a 2,000% increase in what we'll say, people saying you know, they're trans. We're seeing about the same equivalent in children. What are your thoughts about parents who introduce the concept to a child or give hormone therapy to a child or take a child to a to a drag show and we're seeing a lot of that today what what goes through your mind when you see that Jeff? first the the people that are doing that mostly are activist moms and there there's an agenda behind that and it's like you got to be crazy that you are willing to sacrifice your own kids and their life for your pathetic agenda And it's it's beyond comprehension. To me, it's the worst child abuse imaginable. Mm-hmm. To me, you'd, I, you'd, you'd be better off raping your kid, as horrible as that sounds, or beating your kid. But to put them through a gender transition or even lead them in that direction. And, you you know, I go back to my very early days of transitioning. 
I was talking to another eunuch online, and I says, how do you deal with this? When all the chips are down, and you may want to regret this. And he gave me the best piece of advice that you could ever give somebody. Go back and know why you did this in the first place. And I stood on that many times through the years. But these kids are being introduced to it. Correct. It wasn't their choice. So they wouldn't know why they did it if they come to that dark moment. And they have nothing to stand on now. And, you know, you're sacrificing the child's ability to reproduce, to enjoy intimacy, and intimacy, to have any reasonable partner which leads into other psychiatric issues uh, because you've got the isolation and the rejection, which most trans people deal with intensively. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> the trans community often tell me, Jacoba, do you understand how trans kids are targeted by sex traffickers? And I said, yes, more the reason not to push the children in that direction because but they're more vulnerable. But even bigger than that, they're targeted by Big Pharma, who tends to make a lot of money, and they push a lot of money into the LGBT community to push all this. But there's another agenda that plays into this, and that is depopulation. A hundred percent. We talk, you know, here at, at Mercury Studios and on the blaze, Glenn Beck is a friend. <coughs> Glenn and uh, David Barton talk a lot about Dr. Mengel, Nazi doctor who decided who lives and who dies. Experiments on human brains while they're alive, operating surgery. This child looks weak, so he dies. Twins, this one lives, that one dies. And, and I feel like we're living that today. I'm feeling like we're looking at programs, making it look like society is choosing now to transition kids. Meanwhile, it's a program. It's a it's a huge cash cow in big pharma for sure. Because the medication that that child's going to need ongoing going forward, but then also depopulation. And I think it is a eugenics program. We are an ATM machine for the medical community that they can tap at will. The, the, the trans community? Yes. There's, a, there's an agenda behind this. There must be. Why? Because it doesn't. Jeff, there's no human being in their right mind that would take their own child and, as you said, sacrifice the child for a political agenda or just an agenda, a motive. It's demonic. It's 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 anti God. It's anti human life. And so there is an agenda. So you you mentioned something to me that I'd love to get into if you're willing. Can you talk about R O G D? 
So that's Roger Oscar Golf Delta, R-O-G-D. Can you tell us a little bit about R-O-G-D, please? Well, what it is is rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's a big thing happening in our schools today. And you have a lot of kids that come from marginalized families. Okay. Parents are divorced. Sure. Mom's out in the dating scene. Dad's gone, absent. Uh, you might have a stepfather. Child bonds with the stepfather. Then that drops out because mom moves into a new relationship until the child gives up on any type of father figure because they know that whatever they get is going to be temporary. They're not mixing with anybody in the schools and they're the outcasts. But you have the LGBT community, which is saying, come on over here. We will love you and we will accept you and we will support you. And they do. And then that person, to prove their worth, goes to a recommended therapist who recommends hormones, uh, hormone blockers. Sure. Recommends a transition. To a child. Yes. They start transitioning the child into school secretively without the parents even knowing it. And, but each step that that kid takes gives them another feather in the cap and moves them up the ladder in the LGBT community. And it's being celebrated. Which brings belonging exactly. and purpose and all the things we really want from God, but they are coercing and then incentivizing and supporting the child. Now the yeah. child that was an outcast gets love and belonging, but it's not unconditional love. The condition is do this and you move up the rank. It's not much different yeah. from the Mexican gangs. You need to come earn your keep. You get a feather in the cap, go steal this, yeah. then that, shoot this guy, steal a car. And so you move your way up the ranks. But but here it's way worse because you're talking about a human being's a human being's hormones, their life, their future. So they're, they're fast-tracked under hormone blockers, which is extremely dangerous. There's been multiple lawsuits against it. The side effects are absolutely horrendous. As you are witness of firsthand, your own body going yeah. through it. And now you get on the hormones, and they're fast-tracked, and this is real popular in the female-to-male community. They will go in there, and once they start developing breasts, they will have a mastectomy. And then uh, soon after that, they'll go in for a hysterectomy, and get all that removed. Which is now you devastating. Now you have to deal with periods and stuff. But it's devastating to the body, though. Devastating. But here we are. These kids are coming out of high school, and they're like, oh, I'd like a husband. I'd like children. Can't. Had a hysterectomy at 16. 
what the frig did I just do to my body? We just saw a bunch of them down at the Capitol in Austin. They came, uh, got up and testified. You know, and so you're, you're fast-tracking this through so fast. I remember in my early days of transitioning, the LGBT community did this responsibly because whatever we did was adding to the name of the trans community and we wanted to show, hey, look, we're doing this responsibly. Everything's going right. Uh, proper etiquette in the restrooms, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But now they're fast-tracking it so fast, they're just getting sloppy. And now the rate of regret is going sky high. The D-trans community is growing exponentially right now. Another couple of things I want to just put in, you know, the insanity in our society, you know, when we talk about men and women's sports, when we talk about the restrooms, we have two cases here in Texas of, of rape cases at school where this is now male to female transitioning, right? So, so talk me through just, you know, as, as Jeff transition to Lynn, transition back to Jeff, 20 years as a woman, God hits you with the power of God, says, I know your name. When you look at society today, you take a snapshot and you just look at this. Leah Thomas, men and women's sport. You look at children raping children, parents taking their children to drag shows, the, the ROGD phenomenon, Rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is forced. What goes through your mind, Jeff? I mean, what are you what are you processing? Because you've got a very unique lens to culture today. It's just <coughs> it's like after 2020 and the lockdowns, there was a real insanity that was just released. And the carnage of this is absolutely phenomenal. But it goes back to people are looking for a place to belong. And you mentioned the restroom issue, and I want to touch on that. Please do. And I may upset a few people, and some people may disagree with me, and I really don't care. No, share freely, please. But... Uh, I remember we handled the, re the restroom issue very responsibly. But then you had certain far-right groups, and I can mention ministry names, I'm not going to, that released a bunch of videos, a guy going into a, a, re a woman's restroom behind a bunch of young kids, with a baseball cap and using the restroom. This video surfaced all over national TV. Infuriated the trans community to the point uh, we understand the restroom issue. We just need a place to relieve ourselves. But now 
you got them blowing up that. And we said back then, the trans community, if the religious far right keeps this up, there's going to be a backlash. And we're going to get unwanted people in the restrooms. And it's going to blow up on everybody. And then, even then, and I was looking for the video before doing the show, and as far as I can assert, it's taken down. Okay. There was a trans man that literally walked into the restroom of a Cracker Barrel as a male. Okay. And then when he was confronted, he says, I'm biologically a female. Now, he, he clarified everything in the video. Look, we're doing this as a test. Okay. But then it brought up a very good point. How far do you want to push this bathroom issue? Because there's some very masculine trans guys that you can't tell the difference between male and female. Do you really want them into a female bathroom? And some of them are pretty aggressive. They're, they've gone from estrogen to testosterone. Major effect on the body. Exactly. So I personally don't have a problem with the restroom issue. You use what you have to. I but I wish it would be kept to just the trans community and not all this other stuff coming in. Yeah, yeah. But then, too, to say it, this drag queen stuff, they are not transgender people. Talk to me about that philosophy, that mindset, though, because I'm like, and I'm so glad you just mentioned that. Here is someone, look, I look uh, Jeff, I'll say this. I, 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 incredible incredible respect for you to go you know it's bold to transition and then transition back i mean the drag queens monday through friday males yeah males married a lot of them Most of heterosexual them. relationships enjoying sex as a male and then on the weekend I'm gonna back you up on that. and then on the weekend please do back me and on the weekend dressing as a woman dancing for children Something not right. Now, most of them are not heterosexual males. They're bisexual. Okay. And I'm just going to be very honest. I've had many issues with the bisexual community through the years. And excuse the way I say this, but they just want to hold for the pole. Mm. And those are the kinds... But nobody's talking about the bisexual community. No, we're not. No, it's not mentioned, uh, Jeff. And it, it's, it, it's and just it said it's in, transgender, but it's not. It's not the trans community. It's no, a bisexual it's community. Not. There's a very clear, distinct difference. And the thing is, that's where a lot of your pedophilia comes in. Yeah. And they, I have actually known some of them to go on and do it with animals. Bestiality, sure. And yeah. you get that whole thing going. and But now what you are also seeing, and this started surfacing, I started noticing it 
probably 10 years ago, you had a lot of them saying, okay, now I want to step this up a little bit further. And they start transitioning and moving into the transgender space when in reality, they're not transgender. Sure. Just costume. But then the ironic thing about it is they are highly sexualized, highly perverted people. And now once they transition and have the surgeries, they can't have it. And that's the irony of it. Wow. Yeah. You know, but, you know, so... In your in your thoughts, I'm going to make a statement, and you just go, "Yes, Yaku, I agree," or "No, Yaku, I disagree." And please disagree with me freely, because because you, I want you to speak freely. But a statement: children should be protected by adults. I 100% agree. Children should be allowed to go through the regular cycle of puberty without outside forces having an agenda on them, a.k.a. Big Pharma. Or influences. Or influences. Would you agree? A hundred percent. My thoughts that a mother that takes her own child to a drag show or introduces hormone therapy or books the double mastectomy for her daughter is an activist, but maybe also someone who is very, very broken with her own sexual brokenness and never healed from it. I'd be put up for child abuse. Before we close, I can speak to you for days and days and days, and I, w I w would love for you to come back on the show. We deal with so much child abuse, child trafficking inside the foster care system, inside CPS. And there's this belief system by most Americans that no, it's child protected services, child protective services. Where in my opinion, it's the opposite. <coughs> because I'm seeing that bisexual community you're talking about rank throughout CPS. And I'm not saying every foster family that's in CPS is a, has got a pedophile in it, but our numbers, over 60% of foster kids are being sexually abused in the system. Well, in my first foster home, there was piles of Playboy magazines all over the place. And the foster father reading Playboy magazines at the kitchen table. So kids are being sexualized. Oh, yeah. Jeff, I, I mean, maybe one more thing. We fight often against what we call comprehensive sex ed in the schools, in the classroom. We're talking about pornography to 10-year-old boys. Mm -hmm. Things like teaching masturbation to five-year-old boys in kindergarten. Do you think that has a negative effect on children to be introduced to sexual concepts, positions, techniques, how to give consent? Do you think that puts a child on a destructive path? It did my own kids. One child in particular, uh, I, I'm seeing it astronomically, and it's like, oh, I, I've been a virgin too long. I'm not cool, you know, and 
it just it brings up that conversation all the time. And then you get the kids starting to experiment. And I don't when I went to school, we had gang showers and everything. Yeah, a lot of things were happening just amongst the kids. And then the minute I got out on my own at 16 years old, the kids from school, it was a big thing. Oh, you're out on your own. I had everybody coming at me from that aspect. And then when I was on the strip, and I, I'm still going to school now. I went to school until I was uh, 18, until I finally dropped out, and I just wasn't making the grade. I'd see my school teachers on the strip in the adult bookstores yeah. that I was in class with. And then, here I am. I'm not doing a stitch of homework. I'm not doing a stitch of work. I'm not contributing to the thing. And all of a sudden, I get passing grades because I need to keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Look, my prayer, Jeff, and we're talking to Jeff Tooley, and riveting, riveting conversation. Um, brave, thank you, Jeff. I pray God's blessings over you. Let your voice be heard. Um, like to bring you back and dive into some other cultural issues. Definitely. Some other ways how parents can protect their children. Because I know the parents are now going to say, well, let Jeff tell us more. What, how, how do we not and what do we do? And, and then the difficult questions, what do those kids do now that are 18 that want to detransition but had a hysterectomy? Can't put, one, can't put a uterus back in the body. No, they're, they're stuck. It's, it's forever. Um, I agree with you any and every mother that allows it to happen, introduces it, drives the kid to the drag show or the abortion clinic or the transition doctor, it's the most gross form of child abuse. 100%. And for me, that is, at a minimum, life sentence in prison. Unfit to be a parent or to engage with children. Um, Jeff Tooley, I could speak for hours. God bless you. Thank you for being brave enough. My prayer is that your voice reaches those who are in process of thinking of transitioning, uh, those who are being forced to transition or forced into gender modification, hormone therapy, those who have a parent that's pushing them in a direction, those who have transitioned, those who are confused and just looking for love and belonging. Those who've never thought of transitioning, but today heard you say, try just about everything. And still you had that gaping wound until you heard, I know your name. And you encountered the God of the universe, your creator, who gave his son Jesus Christ to die for you and then healed you, healed your life. To now be a voice for thousands, and I pray tens of thousands, Jeff. I'm excited to call you and say, Jeff, the reports are coming in. You made an impact. You gave people hope. Um, please come back for more conversation. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. God bless you. I'm very thankful for you.
to all of you, please share this message. This is something I think for our hour that has to go out there. Please also support us if you want to help us rescue children. And you drink coffee. And I know you drink coffee. I drink coffee. The only coffee you should be drinking is Storyville Coffee. Their slogan, love everybody. Storyville Coffee helps us rescue children from child sex trafficking. When you go online to Storyville Coffee, by the way, number one roaster in America. The best coffee, the freshest coffee shipped to your door. Get yourself a subscription of Storyville Coffee. Incredible coffee brand. You will literally help us save children. Jeff Tooley, God bless you. Appreciate you. Uh, Dan, the man behind the desk who made this happen. Uh, Rebecca, in her absence, who's on a sabbatical. Um, And all those of you who support us, please hit the subscribe button and the like button. Share it out to your friends. Let's get Jeff's word out to as many as possible to help as many as possible. God bless you. See you next time.